a statement. Right, Kim? Not a question. I love you. Is that better? Okay. Um, uh, I want to thank Josh for giving me an awesome, I don't know if anybody's read it, but uh, I don't know if it's my personality or what, but he seems to always give me the ones where Jesus is rebuking uh, people. I guess it just naturally, I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but it is what it is. Okay. So, uh, but I want to thank Josh for letting, giving me the opportunity to, to speak today. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 21, uh, 12 through 22, 14. So it's a big chunk of text, but it's really um, doing one thing. And before I um, get there, just a quick recap. Uh, Matthew 21 starts with the not so triumphal, triumphal entry. Um, I think Josh called it a, a death march, death march for love last last week, and I think that's pretty um, poignant. Um, and so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and there's really two crowds. There's the 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 people from outside of Jerusalem who have come to Jerusalem for the festival, for the Passover week. Um, and they go out to meet Jesus and bring him in and, and lay their cloaks and wave palm trees and, and uh, Hosanna to the, the son of David, to the Messiah. Um, so they have a, a, the right profession, the right reaction, um, wrong timing. Uh, he's, he, he knows he's going to the cross, um, not triumphantly, but, uh, you know, suffering before glory. And uh, there's another crowd, and I think this week's uh, passage is more aimed at this crowd. Um, this crowd is the uh, elites of Jerusalem, the shepherds of Israel, the, um, the, the priests, the scribes, the Torah experts um, who are uh, not leading Israel how they should. Uh, and I, I don't want to, I want to be upfront that I, this is not a, this passage is not a rebuke of Judaism wholesale. Um, nor is it a rebuke of all of these men. There are righteous men in this group, um, but on the whole, uh, they have hard hearts. They are unrepentant. They are uh, wayward shepherds. And just like in the, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, God won't stand for his shepherds, not shepherding his flock. Um, and so just to kind of point this, this, this passage is covenantal discipline. Um, it's God has entered into a, a covenant with the is, is um, with Israel, the people of Israel, and uh, they are not holding up their side of the bargain. And just like in the the Hebrew scriptures, he's going to uh, discipline them. Um, and it's just what the prophets do as well when they come. Um, and just to kind of highlight this, if you look at Deuteronomy twenty eight through thirty, um, Deuteronomy is, is means the second law or the it's the re-upping of the, the covenant that they made at Sinai. Um, Moses, um, they're getting ready to enter the, the promised land. And before they go, Moses is laying out the law one more time. Um, and in 28, he goes through the blessings. And he says, if you, if you abide by my commandments and you follow me and you follow my, my law, then, then blessings and, and fruitfulness will, will flow up. Um, and then in 29, or also in 28, he, he goes through the, the covenantal discipline and the curses for not doing it. Um, and so that's how this is functioning, this, this passage in Matthew, and, and we'll get there in a second. But I want to read Deuteronomy 30, um, 1 through 6, just to show that this is not a forever punishment for, for um, 
Israel. It's not a forever punishment. It's a temporary uh, discipline. Um, and in Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 6, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And this is awesome. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Um, so just while we're going through today, there's going to be a lot of uh, judgment talk and rebuking. Keep Deuteronomy 30, um, 1 through 6 in your mind. Um, it's not forever. It's temporary. Uh, one day, all Israel will uh, triumphantly welcome Jesus to Jerusalem. Um, and the timing will be right. So uh, just look forward to that. All right. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple to confront um, the shepherds of Israel, um, we will call them. So Matthew 21, 12 through 17 is where we will start. And I'm flipping pages, so it might take me a little bit of time to move. But that's okay. All right. Matthew 21, um, 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So he goes straight to the temple and he confronts these people. Um, I was studying this week and, and I've, I've heard it before, but it, uh, I think this is the second temple cleansing. Um, I know that might be kind of weird. I was talking to Allie about it and, uh, John in the Gospel of John that he his temple cleansing is is right up front at the beginning of Jesus ministry and I think that that there are two cleansing because uh, Jesus is not just coming to Jerusalem one time he, he's a faithful um, devout uh, Jewish man and he's going for all the, the three big festivals Passover tabernacles um, the day of atonement um, and so I think he's he's been here before he's done this before he's He's called these men specifically to repentance. He's, he's told them exactly what, um, where they've strayed, and uh, he's coming back now, and he hasn't seen fruit. He sees hard hearts, um, and we'll get into all that um, in a little bit. But uh, in, in this passage in Matthew, there's a couple of references to um, the Old Testament, where it says in 13, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. 
So those are, those are two passages um, from the Hebrew scriptures. The first one is Isaiah 56, and uh, the second one is Jeremiah 7. And I think this is just kind of uh, a clear way for Jesus to state it and Matthew to state what the purpose of this section is doing. It's doing exactly what Isaiah did to the leaders of Jerusalem, and it's doing exactly what Jeremiah did to the leaders of Jerusalem. They came and they called them to repentance, and they get none. And so what does God do? He sends covenantal discipline on Jerusalem with the Babylonians and the exile and the, the raising of the temple and um, raising as in the destroying, not the, uh, <laughs> not the uh, building of the temple. But, um, and so we're going to read some, some Isaiah 56, uh, verse 1 and 2, just to get a, a feel for what's going on here. And I think in this first part of Isaiah 56, Jesus and Isaiah are telling them what they should be doing. Uh, This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. This is what they should be doing. Um, And also in Isaiah 56, uh, verse 10 and 11, uh, this is Isaiah telling them what their hearts are and Jesus telling these these men what their hearts are. Uh, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way, and each seeks his own gain. Um, And this is not what they are called to do. They are called to serve Israel, um, to shepherd Israel, to to rebuke Israel when, when they're going astray and bring them back to the path. But how can you rebuke someone if you have a plank in your own eye? Um, first remove it. Uh, and so this is what Isaiah is doing, and this is what Jesus is doing. Um, they're professing that you guys should be shepherding Israel, and you're leading them further astray. Um, same thing in Jeremiah, the other reference here. Uh, Jeremiah 7 is a little bit more um, on the rebuke side, <laughs> uh, definitely. So we're going to read verses 4 through 11. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Pretty prophetic there, being that it is the Passion Week. Um, And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Um, And so I think that's just uh, Matthew and Jesus' way of saying, you guys know these scriptures by heart, these um, Torah experts and scribes and and, uh, temple leadership. 
They know him by heart. Jesus can just quote this little, small, little part of it, and they, they know the whole context of it, and they know exactly who, the, who Jesus is talking about. Um, and so I want to go real quick, and, and what are they doing in the temple? And I think it kind of lays it, it clear here. Uh, they're using the temple as a way to enrich themselves. They're, they're chasing after money. They're, they're idolizing money and power and influence um, and not being a servant to the people and, and um, uh, denying themselves. Uh, and I kind of get this from the, the part in Matthew, specifically where he calls out um, the benches. He overturned the benches of those selling doves. Um, and if you know, um, we were just in Leviticus a little bit ago in our, our yearly reading plan. Usually a dove is only brought to um, the sacrifice uh, or to the, the temple as a sacrifice if you can't afford a lamb or, or something a little bigger or more valuable. So specifically, these, pe- these men who are exchanging money for doves, I feel they're exploiting the, the, the poor among Israel, the poor who, are, who are, have repentant hearts and are coming to the temple, and, and they're getting exploited by these men exchanging money um, for these, these animals and, and taking advantage of these people. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the big things they're doing. It's not the only thing, but I think that's, that's something. Um, so again, Jesus is functioning just like one of the prophets. He's saying, guys, I've called you to repentance. Um, and you know what happens when you don't as leaders of Israel. Uh, and he knows their hearts. He knows they haven't repented. Before he even enters in Jerusalem, he, he talks about Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He, he's weeping for it. Um, he knows these men's hearts before he even gets there. Um, but their response in this passage shows their hearts even more. Um, he heals these blind men, and, and the children are shouting out, Hosanna to, to the Messiah, to the Son of David. And their response is just like it's been the last three years as he's interacted with them. Um, they don't rejoice at this wonderful thing happening in the temple in the like this man is is blind and now he is healed these children are professing the um worship to god and and these men can do nothing other than uh say jesus won't you you uh, make them be quiet don't you know what they're doing um so they show their hearts uh right up front to jesus right here and then we go to a, a kind of a strange story, it seems, a, a fig tree story. Uh, so Jesus walks into the temple, tells exactly what, what he's doing there. Um, and then we go to a fig tree story, which seems a little out of place. Um, so before I actually read the one in Matthew, I'm going to read a parable from Luke, which I think is really fitting um, to put right here, the parable of the barren fig tree. So th- this isn't in Matthew, but... Um, it's in the Gospels, and, and we're going to read it. So this is Luke thirteen six through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Um, 
And now we'll read the part in Matthew uh, with the fig tree. So this is Matthew 21, 18 through 20. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Um, And I think what this is, is this is kind of a... a, uh, a visual representation of, of, of what's happened. These men, um, these leaders of Israel are like the fig tree. Jesus has been there for three years calling them to repentance, calling them to bear fruit, calling them to, to um, abandon their idolatry of money and power. And he's coming back to look for fruit, for look for repentance, and he finds none. And he knows what this means, the judgment of the, of the Lord, the covenantal discipline is going to fall on these men um, and Jerusalem within this generation. Um, the temple will be destroyed. Uh, and again, not forever, but, but it's not good for it to happen. Um, it's, it's a painful thing, and it breaks Jesus' heart. He, he wants them to repent. He wants them to bear fruit. And this is just like... Um, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, the prophets, all the prophets, they come and they call for repentance. And I think there's a period of time where, where they can repent and the judgment of, of, of God will pass and, and it won't befall them. But there, there comes a, a line in the sand where without repentance, God has to uh, maintain his covenant and, 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 and reestablish his covenant through discipline. And I think this, this fig tree story is just a, a visual representation of that solidification. There is no fruit. There is no repentance. The fig tree is cut down, just like in the parable. Um, there is no fruit, and therefore, um, discipline is coming. Uh, if you won't lead Israel correctly, then you won't lead Israel. Um, it's kind of the, the, the account there. And again, it's not for all time, just like the covenantal discipline um, at the hands of the Babylonians. The temple is destroyed, but it's not destroyed forever. Israel is gathered back in. They rebuild the temple. Um, sacrifices are reinstated. Uh, one day, I think all of that will happen again uh, when the Lord returns. Um, okay, so this leads us to the parables. And the parables, I think, are functioning. They're just ex- expository parables on this. Um, and the parables are not meant to reveal new Knowledge, they're, they're meant to, um, how do I put it? Let's say you know you're wrong and someone hits you face on with, with your wrongness. Your immediate response is, is defensive and um, what they're saying is true, okay? And I think that that happens and I, and I think parables are used in a way to, to kind of uh, flank your defenses to hit you from the side to let you see a situation and and look at it not with yourself at the center of it because humans with our selfish hearts are going to uh put blinders on when we're talking we know we're talking about ourselves and and a good example of this is uh david and nathan so in second samuel 12 david on the heels of his whole bathsheba um uriah uh thing (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, not great, not a great point in David's uh, uh, life. Um, the Lord sends Nathan, a prophet, 
to rebuke David, and this is how Nathan goes about it. So in, in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had uh, bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the, the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And what is David's response? David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are this man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king. I think if Nathan would have just put it right in David's face, David would have been indignant and and defensive at least, and it would have been harder for David to hear the truth. But he gives him this parable, and, and David's rightfully uh, angry at this, this rich man that stole this, this thing. And then Nathan, uh, Nathan turns it around on David and says, you're this man, don't you see it's you? And, and thankfully, David repents. David has a, a soft, uh, uncalloused heart, even though he's in sin and he's He's in this uh, situation that he made for himself. Um, he loves the Lord and, and he repents and, and, and asks for forgiveness. Um, and I think these, these parables that we're getting ready to go through function the exact same way. They're a way for Jesus to, to get these men to recognize their sinfulness and, and repent. And I think judgment's coming. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows corporately they are not going to repent. But I think what he's doing with these parables is he's trying to um, get individuals in this group to soften their hearts and to turn to the Lord. And, and I would almost say he's preparing the way for Peter because when I was going through this, I was like, Peter's going to be talking to these same guys in front of them in, in less than two months. Like in, in Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. So Jesus is killed this week, 40 days, he teaches the disciples, Pentecost comes, Peter <laughs> preaches a, a sermon, calls them to repentance again, they arrest him, drag him before the Sanhedrin, these same men who sent Jesus. So I, I think Jesus with these parables is, is uh, offering them a chance again to repent um, for utter destruction, but but covenantal discipline is solidified and is going to happen at this point he knows he's going to the cross um so again the function of the parables is to call people to repentance um so uh parable one matthew 12 28 through 32 matthew 21 not 12 <laughs> 21 28 through 32 um let me find it parable of the two sons what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. 
Which of these two did what his father wanted? And these men, these uh, shepherds of Israel, the first, obviously, the, the guy who actually did the will of his father. Yeah, he didn't answer correctly. He didn't say the right words at that time, but he changed his heart and went and did the will of his father. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe them. What's the point of the parable? They know they give the right answer. The first one did the will. What they can't see with their hard, calloused hearts is that they are the, they they are he. They are the first son or the second son who who professes, who's you know, a whitewashed tomb. They look great on the outside, but their hearts are hard. They're unrepentant, um, and they are not doing the will of the Father, even when it's clear what is happening to them. Um, Peril of the two sons. So they get it, but they don't see themselves. Unlike David, they don't repent. Um, they don't turn to the Lord. Um, and kind of tells what's going to happen to them. Uh, the tax collectors and, and prostitutes, when they hear this message of repentance, they do repent. They stop following their own desires. They, they deny themselves and, and turn to the Lord. And it's going to happen again here in parable 2 even a little bit more explicit. Parable 2 starts in uh, 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Again, collecting fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyards come, what will he do to those tenants? So Jesus gives them um, (laughs) the same question. You know, David, I imagine David here, this rich guy should be punished for his thing. 41, the, the, the men, he's, the, the shepherds give Jesus his, his answer. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Exactly correct. They know the truth, right? They know um, the words of God. What they don't know is that, that their hearts are hard and he's talking about them. I think they do know that he's talking about them. Absolutely they do. In verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them, right? And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to, they want to, they want to shout, crucify him right now. They don't want to wait till Friday, but they won't because the crowds, you know, their, their idol, the, the worship of men um, is holding them to this to this to to not do this so again unlike david they are unrepentant um they double down like this is clear (laughs) can't be any more clear in this parable the guys kill the son of the the landowner um and they're going to do it within the week um so again all right parable three matthew 22 1 through 10 
Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell him to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to my wedding banquet. Again, calling these leaders to repentance, calling them to bear fruit. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. They did not bear fruit. They did not repent. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So again, pretty clear. You shepherds, you were invited to, to shepherd Israel. You were, you were called to be um, a servant to the house of Israel. And you've done nothing but enrich yourselves um, through greed and, and, um, and lying and, and, and stealing from the poor and the fatherless. And he pronounces judgment. They will not be led into the feast. Uh, and again, the scribes know it. Uh, they don't respond to the invitation. They don't, they don't respond to the invitation to repent um, and trust in the Lord. And judgment is going to fall on these specific men. Um, Again, tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles are going to come into the kingdom before these men because they will not repent. Um, And so I'll hit it again. I think this is primarily, this whole section is primarily just functioning as prophetic text. You men were in charge of shepherding Israel, of recognizing the, the time of your visitation, and you didn't. You have hard, calloused hearts. And therefore, just like the prophets, judgment is pronounced. Um... They disregard the call to repentance. And even though they know the Torah, they're experts in the Torah, they're going to break almost every one of the, the big uh, don't-dos like murder or bear false witness or, or take bribes this week. Within days, they will do all these things. Um, so it's covenantal discipline. It's judgment on Israel's leaders. It's not judgment on all Israel. It's not an overthrowing of Judaism. It's a prophetic text. Um, and just like, remember I told you, keep Deuteronomy 30 in your head. It's not for all time. One day Israel is going to recognize the Messiah. Um, he's going to enter Jerusalem to, to cheers and shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, to the king of kings. And it won't just be uh, part of, of Israel or the Jewish people. It won't be part of Um, There won't be two crowds. There'll be one crowd. All of Israel will turn. All of Israel will have their their hearts circumcised um, and won't be at war with with themselves. Um, And so we long for that day, obviously. Um, I'm kind of wrapping up here. uh, And this is kind of the hard part because I think this passage really should sit in the first century. Um, It's a, it's a, a, a Jewish prophetic text between a jewish rabbi a jewish messiah a jewish king and his his servants who should be following him and are not um and so the the hard part was how do we, how does it apply to us um i'm i'm a gentile in the 21st century never been to israel i've never seen the temple um so 
I think firstly, uh, I think kind of a way that it, it applies and, and it shows the heart of God is anyone who follows Christ and is in a position of, of leadership um, as an elder or, or, or uh, any position of authority or, or influence, um, an elder, a deacon, even a parent, um, if you're discipling someone, if you're a teacher, if you have influence over someone, I think it's, uh, this, this text can be a little, little scary in that, um, the, the leaders of, of, the leaders are held to a higher standard. Um, and you need to daily wake up and give yourself a, an echocardiogram to see if your heart is, is becoming hardened or calloused or, or anything. I think you need to, um, look at yourself and make sure you have a soft heart and that you're, you're striving to obey the Lord um, for the right reasons and, and not for self-enrichment or, or greed or anything like that, but, but that, that Christ and, and God loves people and wants, um, wants them to, to follow in truth. So I think that's the biggest thing is, is as a leader or a person of authority or influence, you don't want to cause someone to stumble by um, being two-faced or a hypocrite or, you know, professing one thing and behaving another way. So I think that's, um, I think Jesus says something about a millstone being cast around your neck if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Um, and so I think that's, that's a, that was a big takeaway for me, um, especially being up here and teaching. Uh, it's, a, it's a big responsibility and, and one that um, thankfully the Spirit helps us with and, and um, and encourages with, uh, and Sierra, will you come up here? And the second point, um, before I, before I get to my second point, yeah, the, the band can come up. Uh, I want to finish the third parable. I didn't read all the way to the end. I stopped at verse 10, but verse 11 starts with, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. For there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, So I want to start there with uh, none of the people who ended up um, coming to the wedding feast had wedding clothes. They were were travelers on the road. They weren't expecting to go to a wedding. Um, So where did they get their clothes? Where did they get their wedding clothes? The king obviously gave them to them. They didn't pay for them. They didn't earn um, their clothes. They, they just believed that they were going to a wedding and, and you put on wedding clothes when you're going to a wedding. Um, and so I, I, I want to kind of bring it back to you. You have to put the clothes on. You can't just, you can't just know about Jesus' return or, or the gospel or the cross. You can't just hear it and say, well, I, I heard it, I guess I'm good. Um, you actually have to respond, you have to put on the clothes, you have to repent, you have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And it's not, so you don't earn the clothes, you don't um, pay for them, you don't, uh, you don't have a right to them, but, but the king gives them freely to you. He, he, gets, he gets you on the highway and brings you in and gives you these clothes and says, put them on. I've bought them um, with my blood. Uh, you have to trust that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid the price. Um, and every day you got to put those clothes on. Um, every day you got to put the clothes on that you didn't earn, that you didn't pay for. 
Um, you can't just know. You can't just have a head knowledge. You gotta, you gotta put them on. You gotta, you gotta trust in the Lord. You gotta deny yourself. You gotta put on your wedding clothes and pick up your cross. And any newcomers or anyone who doesn't know, um, this parable talks about a wedding feast on purpose. Um, and it lays it out clearly what happens if you don't put the clothes on. Uh, but I want to finish with a, another wedding feast. Um, the wedding feast when Jesus returns and is gathered into Jerusalem with, with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, to the Messiah. Um, so Jesus lays out what, what happens if you don't put your clothes on, if you don't repent and bear fruit in keeping with righteousness. Um, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 25 and, and read about a, what happens for those who do uh, put the clothes on and that it's important that you do. Uh, 25, verse 6, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all earth. The Lord has spoken. So I just plead with you that if, if the judgment part that Jesus spoke about of being bound and thrown out into the darkness for not putting your clothes on, if that's not enough, if the stick isn't enough to, to get you to turn, then, then use the carrot. Uh, it's, it's for eternity and it's, it's worth it to lay down your life in this age. And to trust that, that all of this is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is coming back. And to, to bear fruit um, in keeping with that faith. Uh, and so I just, I just ask if you haven't done that, that you, you reach out and you ask an elder, a deacon, a, a member of, of Christian Life Church, anyone. Um, get on the website and send Josh a message. Uh, do something, but reach out and, and ask how how that works and, and what it looks like to, to bear fruit and to put on the, the, the free clothes from the king. Um, and so if you bow with me in prayer now, uh, Father, uh, we just thank you um, for letting us gather here and, and, and for teaching us um, what you long for. And it's, it's not, uh, it's not, acts of righteousness is not a way to earn our, our salvation or anything, but it, all, all you ask is that we, we humble ourselves before the King and that, um, and that we turn and, and, and trust that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has been appointed as, as, as the judge of, of all mankind and, and that we lay down our lives and, and, and follow after him. And, and we, we thank you for, um, this time where, where we are allowed to repent and, and we, we ask for the spirit to help us um, go out to the highways and, and, and bring people to the wedding feast and that, and that we call them to repentance and tell them that they have to put their clothes on um, and that we give them the clothes to do that. And, and we thank you for Jesus' work on the cross that washes the wedding, the wedding clothes white as snow and, and and we, we just thank you for this time to gather together. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.